That's why I'm all time two. Half past despicable, last man to bring it through. Fast rap, the critical stack, analytical slap slap. I'm hitting you smack. Oh, this this is exciting. This bears mention. This episode of Breakup Gaming Society is brought to you by your friends at Crown. Crown is a waffle mix that also doubles as a really effective exfoliant. With Crown, every morning you have to decide for yourself. Do I want clear pores or do I want waffles? You can't have both. Thank you, Crown. I'm going to buy a car. I'm sticking you smack lips to stack tip all with the lyrical technique for party crashes, liquor spilling mayhem. Fuck cops to play them, super bitches to slay them. Saw serious biz, no time remains for the cattle defecation. You spitting right in this brain, what the? Episode 59 Breakup Gaming Society. I have returned to you. I am the Lord Chief Rocket, number one Chief Rocket, here with a podcast that covers board games, booze and hip-hop, and of course the occasional plug for non-existent dual exfoliant waffle mixes. What is there to look forward to today? First, drink of the week. We are going to look at a classic cocktail, once a staple of bar-going culture, that has a fun intersection with the film Clockwork Orange. Then, game of the week. My friend across the sea, I don't know what it is, how it is I managed to befriend Australian game makers. But my friend Noisy Andrew of Party Meeple, that's his company where he makes fun little games, has made a new game. And I tried it out. And I'm going to tell you what I thought about it. Then Track of the Week is going to come to you from a friend of Twitter who works at a radio station in, I believe, Arkansas. I asked him what he wanted to feature on the show. And he went way back in time and told me a story about buying his first record as a kid and what that record was. We're going to listen to snippets of it and talk about his story. That's more or less the episode. Once again, this is the Lord Chief Rocka thanking you for riding with me. And we're going to be just... We're going to be back in just a few seconds after the bumper with Drink of the Week. Drink of the Week. So, as alluded to during last week's Drink of the Week segment, today we're going to talk about the bull shot. What's a bull shot? It's basically a Bloody Mary, except the base is chilled beef broth instead of V8 or whatever. Or Bloody Mary mix. Are you revolted? Eh, you shouldn't be. Last summer and this summer, I tried making them for myself, spurred on by the knowledge that during the media tour for A Clockwork Orange, that a lead star, Malcolm McDowell, who plays Alex the Droog, drank almost exclusively bull shots the entire media tour. At some point, it was no one would raise an eyebrow in any bar if you ordered a bull shot. So basically, there were a couple recipes out there floating around. The one I liked came from Atlantic, but... They're all basically the same game. You have Worcestershire, Worcestershire, some fresh lemon, lemon garnish, your choice of hot sauce, um, of course your 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 broth base, and a couple other things I'm forgetting. Chilled vodka. There's one thing I found 
go easy on the Worcestershire. Had one recipe I tried last time, called for three dashes. Mm-mm, don't do that. But there's something absolutely liberating about the bull shot, because after two or three of them, leaves a slick of animal fat on your lips, and you feel simultaneously fortified and belligerent. It's a great drink. Try it. The bull shot, as Alex would say, it's a fucking horror show. Game of the week. So a few weeks ago, episodes ago, it was actual several, actually several months because I sort of backed into taking the summer off. But now I hunger again for the microphone. Hopefully there's at least four of you out there who missed me. I missed you. Whoever the fuck you are, I have no analytics. I don't want any. So Game of the Week is 60 Second Cocktail by Party Meeple. Party Meeple is a endeavor from Noisy Andrew, who lives on the other side of the globe from me. I don't know what my knack is from bef- for befriending board game designers on Twitter. But, uh, yeah, we've now reviewed Citrus, Australian designer, who gave me a prototype. And I finally got my first playtest in of 60 Second Cocktail, another prototype that Noisy Andrew generously shared with me. 60 Second Cocktail, fast-moving, party game, involves uh, bluffing, a wee bit of hand management, um, uh, press your luck, and, as I saw it, should probably is brisk enough to involve gambling, too. You each play bartenders with a set of more or less four identical cards in your hand that represent various cocktail elements, most of them with some sort of time attached to them. And you go around, laying them face down, until somebody decides to start bidding. That's the point at which somebody has the sand to say, I can make this cocktail in five cards, which means you roll all your cards and start rolling other people's cards. And if the time values on them don't go over 60 seconds and it has some booze in it, you win some money from the pot. Otherwise, you lose some money. The bar bar, uh, owner, whose name is Doherty Brinksman, takes cash from you. Thankfully, Nathan Lund, uh, a local comic of note, and um, he told me the name of it. Chubby Behemoth? podcast. He helms comedy shows around here and is also uh, my bartender from time to time. Graciously stopped what he was doing and played around with me and the mechanics made sense, although I modded it once already because there are 14 cubes that represent money, but I was thinking, how much better does this game get if the cubes were replaced with units of money? So I replaced all 17 cubes with quarters. Now I can imagine if those were $20 bills you'd have yourself a pretty fucking intense game of 60-second cocktail, but here's the long and the short. I got my head around the mechanics, had to ask Noisy Andrew a couple questions. Also, um, Party Meeple, P-A-R-T-Y-M-E-E-P-L-E. They have a YouTube channel um, where he actually videos a walkthrough of it because I guess he was getting the same questions about the rules again and again. But um, the rules made sense to me. We got through a smooth round, but the only thing I thought is I cannot wait to do this again with four people because something tells me that's when the bidding and the card laying get really interesting and of course with my modification actual money at stake gets mega interesting maybe up to the point of going home angry at one of your friends but anyway thank you Party Meeple for letting me have an advanced look 
at your game. And um, we'll probably check back in in an episode or two after we've had a chance to play it with the full complement of four players and see how it feels then. Here comes track of the week. Next, relax and take a seat. Sit back and play the beats and blast it in your Jeep. It's the track of the week. I'm ratchet in the streets. Talk trash to the geeks. Get smacked in the beat. It's the track of the week. All right. We're back for track of the week. First of all, I want to make it clear that on Breakup Gaming Society, the term old head is not an insult. Some people use it dismissively. Me? Old heads are the fucking milk of life for me. I'm a middle-aged head. <laughs> Maybe an old head. But when I started to connect with people with deep, deep, deep history in hip-hop and way bigger record collections than me, I realized I had a lot to learn. This is why I reached out to Professor Mike of uh, KABF. That's at the Professor MJ. And I'm just going to put Mike. I'm just going to gonna be honest with you. I'm fucked up. So if this, if this pour of the gravy has a few lumps in it, it's because in between the last segment and this segment, and also listening to the, the, the track you suggested a couple times, I'm pretty drunk. But um, what the professor asked us to play was a funky joint by Houdini one of the foundational old-school acts. Now, pause for a lecture. Old-school doesn't mean something that was recorded when you were 12. The old-school era pretty much ended in 1985. But right around that time, you've got this sound with these wild synthesizers, heavy beatbox, and dudes who are on their second or third album and whose rhymecraft is pretty polished. So... Mike wanted to tell me a story, and um, I asked him, you know, why, why this, why this track? And um, he said, and these are his words. He goes, I thought about it, but Houdini Funky Beat is so special to me because when I graduated from eighth grade, <laughs> my sweet grandmother gave me like fifty dollars, and for the first time, I rode the bus by myself for the first time went to a record store downtown Chicago, bought that 12-inch, first 12 I bought. Very special song for me. Now, I have related memories, but um, one thing I wanted to ask him was I know, like, sometimes with the generational gap, the music that the kids buy, you don't play when the olds are around. I asked him, I was like, you know, what did your mom, grandma think of that? Mike tells me, yes, <laughs> He goes, did grandma, I said, did grandma know how you spent your cash? That's what, it, that's what I wanted to know. He said, yes, but my mom hated it. He said, no, my grandma was strictly gospel unless it was Christmas, and she'd play Nat King Cole Christmas albums for a week straight, no skips. <laughs> oh, shit. So um, <laughs> I, I've got a related story, but first I just want to talk about when I listen to tracks from this era. And by the way, Houdini has been featured on the show previously. Um, now that Houdini's inside the joint off Open Sesame was at one point. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite DJ Bragg records. But I think this was before that, but not by much. And I'm guessing that because of the sound of the beatbox 
and the way they engineer the synths. But I just want you to hear why a mom in the 80s would hate this. Listen to the curtain of noise that happens when the song kicks off. That was the intro of Funky Beat by Houdini, as suggested to us by Professor Mike. You know, he got me back to thinking of back when you were like in middle school and albums still came on physical, physical media and you would save up for them and often play them in private because your parents didn't want to hear that trash. And it got me back to thinking to eighth grade in Springfield, Missouri. And this isn't so much a purchase in retrospect, as it was a bizarre, divine visitation. There's this kid on my bus, little chubby, what would have been considered now a mullet, but back then would have been a cool new wave hairdo. I think his name was Peter Baldy. He rode my bus in eighth grade on the way to school, Hickory Hills Junior High School in Springfield. And we used to jaw at each other, but I never considered him a pal, and I certainly didn't think he knew where I lived. But I'll never forget. The Saturday, my doorbell rings. My mom and my ex-Vietnam-era tank captain stepdad are out of the house. And the doorbell rings, and it's Peter Baldy there with his bike laying on my driveway. And he says, I think you might like this. And he hands me this 45 of the Dead Kennedys, Nazi punks, fuck off. He's like, check it out. Don't worry about getting back to me. I don't remember speaking to him again or him ever asking for the record. Now, I thought I was kind of punk because I was listening to, you know, Straight to Hell by The Clash right around then. And I put this on and my jaw hit the floor and I knew. Mom and Cliff aren't going aren't gonna to want to hear this. I would count minutes until they'd go out somewhere. And I would play that over and over and over and over. It blew my mind apart. So in a way, I kind of relate. But um, <laughs> uh, let, let's uh, hear one more selection from Professor Mike's uh, Houdini recommended track, shall we? That was a second peek at Funky. God damn it. I'm sorry, Mike. 
I was I was just looking, trying to memorize the name. It's called the old school need to know. I don't want to fucking know. Maybe you should know hip hop track, but I do know he's at Professor Mike MJ at KABF out of Arkansas. I believe I got that part right. So Mike, thank you. Oh, oh, and also, one last parting thought for Mike. I asked him. I was like, you know, some some sugar rushes wear off as you age, and some songs deepen. And one of the last questions I asked him was, uh, "Did this song age well for you? Have you heard parts of it with new ears at any point?" And here, here was his response: "Oh, I'll always love that song." I always think of that video. It was one of the earlier videos with a lot of cameos, if not the first. Jam Master Jay was there. Curtis Blow, Bobby Brown, Video Souls, Donnie Simpson, Full Force, and it starred Malcolm Jamal Warner at peak of his fame. So all I want to say is, Mike, thank you. Um, We're coming back with one outro and final thoughts on what it means if you get beholden to narcissists. Back in just one sec. It's all serious biz, no time remains for the cattle defecation. You spitting right in this brain, what the f- Hello, sir. Did, did I touch the mute? Oh, boy. Um, if the background tracks sound a little bit, it's because I walked out of my closet. I'm, uh, my recording closet just felt too balmy. The air was gauzy. I... I didn't like it. But, parting thought. I have tracked with some grim amusement the now subsiding drama of a very particular Dungeons and Dragons power couple who were outed as being some of the worst people in the universe. And, and the central issue to me is how many people think if you're going to play a role playing game, you're going to play D&D. If you're going to play D&D and be successful at it, you have to kiss the arse of fucking monsters like this. There are a lot of people now coming out talking about how terrible it was to work with them, how abusive they were, how narcissistic. But in one of those threads, they posted a picture of their wedding flyer. And my nervous system just shut down. If you can't look at that and tell you're looking at two of the worst human fucking beings ever... Yeah, and and here's what it's really all about, is that don't let your world get so small that people like that can control you. Role-playing games are far more capacious and creative and bigger-hearted than you could ever imagine. Everyone seems to think that D&D is the default frame of reference, but it's not, because I listen to all these indie tabletop role-playing game makers who are not only ethical and wholehearted and industrious and care about the people who play their games their shit's more interesting and you don't have to deal with subsidiary of Wizards of the Coast, subsidiary of Hasbro subsidiary of two very attractive people who abuse others to make their livelihood and by the way uh, I've read your follow ups because it blew up so bad in your face nobody believes your apology and your piece of shit licked my balls this has been episode 59 of Breakup Gaming Society. I am the Lord Chief Rocker, number one Chief Rocker. I want to thank my Twitter pals who helped inspire this, um, my small designer friends who gave me interesting stuff to play, 
and who uh, wear their hearts on their sleeve. And until then, may you fight long and well.